Visible is a wireless carrier that is not invisible. It is pretty clear from the name, actually, radio waves are invisible. And I can say this with authority as a licensed amateur radio operator. That being said, Visible won't be giving you the power to see light outside the visible spectrum. It's actually way better because having that ability would make getting around very difficult and distracting. What you do get with Visible is unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. You get one line of wireless, just $25 a month, which is great in these times of economic uncertainty. That is one line for $25, taxes and fees included. So whatever you're doing at this moment, please stop. Switch immediately. Now, monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Wir gerne sehen in was ist los. It's dein Freundo, Seth. I'm learning German. Yeah, in case you didn't know what that was. That is me trying to impress you with the little German that I know. Right now, I am actually learning German. I took it in high school. I goofed off the entire time. I did some other language learning apps. They taught me things like where the taxi stand is and how to find a bus, um, but not a lot of conversational uh German. Thankfully, that's what Babbel is all about. Babbel teaches you language conversationally, which let's face it, that is what you want to know anyway. I don't know. When I was in school, you learned like how to count. You learned like the colors. You learned the shapes. Those are all important things, but they don't help you when you're in uh, like Cologne, Germany with Ein Nierenstein, which by the way is German for kidney stone, uh, an experience I can unfortunately speak personally to. But I've been using Babbel to learn to speak German again, uh, better than I have before. I actually really like it because it is conversational. It's a little bit more relaxed. One of the things that it does that I really like is it'll sometimes show you what the literal English translation is. And I don't know why, but I find that very helpful in sort of understanding the structure, the grammar of a language and sort of putting myself into that mind space. Since I'm only in Germany for Gamescom, which is like a week, week and a half, I'm not immersed in the German language. I'm not immersed in German culture. So what I do is the second best thing. I'm taking Babbel. Hopefully this year when I go to Germany, I'll be able to impress all the Germans with how much German I know from learning through Babbel. The app has pronunciation recognition, so you'll be able to learn how to speak better with your accent, how to actually properly pronounce the words. That way you won't get made fun of by a, a group of older German men because you said Apfelstrudel and not Apfelstrudel. Um, no, it's really cool. Uh, I'm going to say right now there is a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now you can get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners because you guys are the best ones, by the way, at babbel.com slash realm. Get 60% off at babbel.com slash realm. That is spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash realm. Rules and restrictions may apply. Listen. What is up, Super Ninfrendos? This is NVC episode 574. I am your elderly host, Seth Macy. I am joined here today by Kat Bailey. What's up, everybody? I'm excited to be playing with power. Superpower. Per Schneider. Hello, my friend. Hello, hello. Uh, and Sam Claiborne. Hey, Seth. And I'm coming to you live with Kat from the new IGN Los Angeles Superdome stage. <laughs> 
I'm jealous. Okay. For those of you who are listening and not watching, uh, Sam and Kat are actually in our new LA studio, and it's pretty fantastic and professional and awesome. And there were some camera tricks and some shenanigans going on in there. Tune it was in. a celebration. We're a big kid tune podcast in, now. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I am still in my basement at my house, and it smells a little weird because it's a basement. But we have a lot to talk about this week, so let's get right into it. First off, we're going to talk about our No Man... <laughs> off to a great start. Our No More Heroes 3 review. Matt Kim reviewed it. He gave it a 6, which is a uh, okay on the IGN score, okay. I believe. Okay. So it's okay. Yep. You know, and sometimes a 6 is a game that you're either going to really like or you're just not going to like it all. It's sort of like a 7 in that way. I'm not <laughs> what I'm talking about. But there was some uh, some embargo weirdness going on. Kat, could you please give us a little uh, explanation into what was going on with the uh, review embargo? Yeah, sure. The uh, PR folks had the embargo set for nine hours after the game had already been released. So it would be, in theory, kind of a sketchy way of getting people to buy the game before the actual reviews had gone live. And it makes it look like they were hiding something. And sure enough, the reviews weren't super amazing, kind of what you would expect for a No More Heroes game. But it kind of reignited the discourse around reviews because this is not the first time this has happened. Ubisoft has tried it before in the past. And uh, there have been other instances in which, for example, Last of Us Part Two was trying to obfuscate what was happening in the ending. And it's just kind of a bad look. Allow reviewers to be able to give the full uh, perspective for readers who are actually curious about the game. We're, we're seeing yeah, some see, B-roll uh, right here, and it's, it's just want to cut in. It's the talkiest boss fight I've ever <laughs> seen in my entire life. <laughs> I know a lot of people in the NVC Facebook group pre-ordered this game and picked it up. And mm-hmm. I think uh, I think Matt said so much in his reviews. Like, if you're a, a fan of Suda51, then you're, this game is for you. But otherwise, probably not. So... If there's yeah, such a thing as well. a grindhouse genre for video games, this is kind of it, right? I mean, you're going it. You yeah. know what you're going to get with it. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like when I watched the uh, video review, which, by the way, Matt did a great job, it actually looks kind of appealing in its own way. It like the, certainly the action looks really strong. So I can see why like people would be pulled in. I think the biggest problem ultimately is performance issues and the yeah. open world elements just aren't a huge evolution from what it was back on the days of the Wii. Yeah, you said it was it was repetitive overall too, right? And like th- these games are never technically that that great, but they kind of make up for it with just style and and just the craziness on display on the screen. <laughs> so yeah, I'm 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 still gonna play it. I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out, but um, I, I I know what to expect. Do y'all remember yeah. when it was being shown back in the days of the Wii? Because the whole impetus for No More Heroes was everybody looked at the Wii and said, I want a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. Give me a lightsaber. Oh, and Lucas right. Arts was being so slow to give us a freaking lightsaber game. And here comes <laughs> Suda51 going, got your lightsaber game. And everybody was <laughs> so right. excited. You know, there was always like a really great uh, sense of mashing up retro games with contemporary gameplay in this. And I think like what I just wanted the series to become eventually was basically a a fake retro game collection. And I think two had more of that than any of the others. But um, I don't need to play the lightsaber stuff at this point. I just kind of want to play a bunch of weird Suda 51 uh, uh, retro games. Just go by Retro Game Challenge you want the uh, the retro game collection. Which is a really good recommendation. How great would that be on Switch? Seth. Seth, you're my favorite yes. person right now. Retro game challenge, secret best game. I probably won't. I won't be your favorite when, he, when I tell you that I sold my box copy. So what have you Ooh, done, you rare. monster? <laughs> it, was, it wasn't that. Rare. I needed a new. Ca- listen, let's let's. 
enough about this. Let's get to the exciting stuff. If you're listening at home or watching, you might notice that we are uh, older than the normal. Uh, Speak for yourself. Crew. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody. I'm. Yeah, I mean, Pear is in his seventies. Mm -hmm. I'm in my <laughs> early sixties. So. <laughs> Did, you, uh, did you guys? Yeah, there's a little yeah. bit of a studio reaction to that one. <laughs> uh -huh. Good gag. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm in my 60s, but uh, the the SNES, <laughs> the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, the mm -hmm. SNES, however you want to call it, is 30 years old in the United States as of August 23rd uh, in 1991. What, mm -hmm. a, what a beautiful summer that was. I don't know if everybody can remember it, but I sure do. But yeah, we. This is sort of a timeline of the uh, the the marketing rollout that Nintendo expertly executed in the lead up to the Super Nintendo was uh, back in the September October 1990 issue of Nintendo Power. They gave us our first look at the Super Famicom, and man, I remember this issue extremely well. There are four basically postage sized images of uh super mario 4 which we now know as super mario world right uh and i looked at those images until they burned into my retinas i was so excited that's... about the 16-bit revolution what's Can that you spot the difference that's really oh sam yeah they oh yeah look at the red buttons and everything they they did change yeah. the, the design you know, the Super Famicom famously has the four different colored face buttons, which were also the, the Nintendo Super Famicom logo back then. And then you guys screwed yes. it up all up yeah. for the U.S. and made it all purple. Excuse me. Um, no, but like wh what I'm surprised with here is the um, how late you guys got the announcement mm -hmm. um, for this. Right. So this is the September, October issue. And literally right. the thing was out a month later in Japan, which means, you know, Japanese magazines had been covering this for months leading up to the uh, release. So, well, it's interesting. Internet day that out. Yeah. yeah, because other magazines were reporting on the Super Famicom. But uh, Nintendo Power wants you to know mm -hmm. that you should look to future issues of Nintendo Power for hard facts. This is a direct quote. Hard facts, not wimpy rumors. And that is with an exclamation point. To be fair, so was every other sentence in everything written in Nintendo Power. But yeah, that... They, uh, does anyone... They, they embargoed better? themselves there, right? They, they embargoed... Yeah, yes. Nintendo of America embargoed its own <laughs> publication to not talk about the things people have been talking about for a year then. I think they were right. really focused on making sure the Super Nintendo was a very different sort of system in the United States than it was in other territories. And that was, you know, that was the exact marketing scheme they followed from the NES, where they just really wanted the NES to look like this kind of boring VCR box instead of the... Right. I don't even know how to describe what it looked like in Japan. It looked like a, a very toy-like, right? Yeah. But uh, the Super yeah. Nintendo here, like, it wasn't, you know... It, it didn't. It didn't look. It looked kind of like a, a weird early PC on its side in the United States, where it's <laughs> like you know they lost all the. They added corners to it. Like when was the last time that right. happened in tech? You know, everything just gets well, rounded. They wanted it to look look like a uh, like a like a VCR. So you thought it was a piece of home electronics instead of you know the toy that it, it really was. But uh, I love these mockups. I wanted to point out in this article, this first article, they refer to Pilot Wings as Flight Club. And we all know the first rule of Flight Club. <laughs> Don't talk about Flight Club. But um, I personally, I feel the Super Famicom aesthetics like blow the Super Nintendo out of the way, like in every possible way. The design of the console, the design of the, the, the controller uh, button configuration, and like the 
box art for the Super Famicom. Uh, mm, 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 mm. Yeah, yeah you're so right. <laughs> and actually, I know uh, an indie developer named Jake Kazdahl, and he was a Nintendo game counselor back in the days of the Super Nintendo. And he said he specifically remembers the moment they brought the Super Nintendo into the office and showed it to the first time. And everybody went, what have you done? This looks terrible. <laughs> oh, my God. They would have been the ultimate insider, so they would have known all about the, fam the yep. Super Famicom, right? So, like, they that's really funny to hear that, that reaction. I was just one of the kids that only knew about Nintendo Power, so I never saw anything. I had no idea there was a, a, a Super Nintendo out in Japan uh, a year before we it's got the it. the early 90s, so I found out about the Super Nintendo when they started running ads for Super Mario World. Or yep. They had that great ad with the kid walking up to the drive-in movie screen, mm -hmm. and then uh, it was very 90s with the lighting and everything, and he just slams the, the gamepad in, and the screen lights up, and he's playing F-Zero, and it's just like his hair is flying back That's and everything. Right. <laughs> Back and sticking back. Um, I probably first saw the uh, the Super Famic or the Super Nintendo uh, from a Genesis ad mocking Mario. Mm. Oh, mm. I don't think that's true because I was an avid uh, Nintendo Power reader, but I was so much more hyped on the Genesis than I was on the Super really? Nintendo. Really interesting. Yeah, and I—I huh. I mean, my friends were like completely swayed by the Sonic argument and about how Mario is for babies. But I, so much so that I really had to play Mario, and I really liked it. And I played it at a, a younger friend's house who had a Super Nintendo, and uh, like like crazy. Um, but then I wouldn't tell some other friends that I played Mario games. <laughs> You're so right, though. <laughs> like, at that time, when, uh, you know, circa 1993, 94, especially when Mortal Kombat came out, people uh. were very much on the Nintendo's for babies, Sega Genesis is where it's at uh, train, especially if you're in elementary school or middle school like I was. Yeah. So. What are we showing? Yeah, I that is yeah, oh, what really is this? mock-up of this? Mario. It looks like Mario teaches typing almost. Yeah, this, is, uh, yeah. this, is, <laughs> this is great value, what? Super Mario. Yeah, this is not Super Nintendo Mario Brothers. No, no, this is <laughs> this like this that is uh, for the Amiga. Oh, oh my God, Pear, that's Super amazing. Nintendo Mario. Whoa. There you go. Yeah, Pear is holding concert. up uh, his Super Famicom collection. And another thing about that I love is just the boxes oh, for wow. Super well, Famicom games are and so, so, much better, much better. Better. so much better. It doesn't even make sense to have a box of Mario World because that was packed in. It would be so that was to have a box Mario World here. Yeah. Can I yeah. just talk they're, about? They're very under. Many are very understated. Look at the like white boxes and just the you know the, the beautiful art, especially Final the Square Fantasy. games look yeah. so good. Yeah. Can yeah. I and then some are vertical. This drove me a little crazy that some boxes were vertical <laughs> for Metroid's <laughs> uncle. Cool. But, um, yeah. Like a movie poster. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, they're sure. basically VHS tape sized, so they would fit mm -hmm. on your you know entertainment storage shelf of, of whatever sort. But that was the first like taste that. Nintendo Power gave us. It was so delicious and wonderful. And I, like I said, I burned those images into my mind. I was so excited for the Super Nintendo. And then in June of 1991, they introduced the Super NES with a feature called Introducing the Super <laughs> NES. And they actually talked oh. to the industrial designer, uh, Lance Barr, about some of the design decisions. Now, granted, I was completely head over heels for Nintendo. So I never thought the Super Nintendo was ugly. I thought it was a beautiful work of art and the most perfect console ever created by human hands. And from that day forward, and uh, I got to say now that I'm grown up and I appreciate the Super Famicom more, the one thing about the Super Nintendo I like the most is that the buttons are concave on the top. Oh, yeah, that's on nice. X on the bottom or mm -hmm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure. But Lance had a couple of good quotes. He said uh, that, oh, this, excuse me, is a directive 
from the brass at Nintendo of America. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but they have a, a strict military rank system at Nintendo of America. They uh, want a product that didn't look like a toy, he explained. The reason yep. for that is the insides of the Super NES are anything but toyish. Bam! Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> get real now. This is a serious uh, video game system. The design was uh, intentionally avoided flat angles of the NES because apparently spills were one of the chief service problems for the NES. Like you'd be playing a game, eating your bowl of cereal on a Saturday morning, you'd put that bowl of cereal on there, cat jumps up, boom, forget it. <laughs> now your, your, your NES is ruined forever. Re re remember back then all the consoles were always sitting on the carpet, um, yeah. you know, tethered to a TV because like, you know, little TV stands hadn't been invented yet. That sort of future technology oh, yeah. wasn't available in the 90s. So, uh, yeah, like people fell over these things and ripped out the cords and the dog oh. peed on them. All of that happened. So it was <laughs> yeah. very important that it was not level and, and the pee rolled off to the front. <laughs> you yeah. know, looking at this uh, preview, it occurs to me that at this time, Nintendo was a very different company from what it is today. It had a, a I want to say, a certain arrogance to it, mm. uh, which came down oh, yeah. directly from the top from Yamauchi. And a lot of that was to do with the fact that it had completely dominated the video game, the home video game market all through the 80s. It was like, we can do whatever the heck we want. We can roll this thing out in North America whenever we want, and we will dominate. Yeah. We own all of the department stores. You walk into a store, you will see a giant world of Nintendo set up. We have managed to push all of our competitors out. and they weren't reckoning with Sega, especially Sega of America. If you really want a lot of yeah. great context for this, go and read Game Over and Console yes. Wars, both which show each side of what was happening at that time. Lots of great anecdotes. That's a similar uh, hubristic moment to when uh, the PlayStation 2 rolled into the PlayStation 3. Absolutely. And, you know, the expense of the PlayStation 3 and how that was explained. And it was just, there was this expectation. You want to have a second job to buy one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and and, yeah. and you, you, you think you would learn those lessons. Nintendo actually changed. Nintendo just started claiming there's no console war, right? And then it just went like a completely different direction for, you know, GameCube forward. And I think that was a really interesting way to go. But they were... They certainly got competitive after the Listen. Super Nintendo show. Super Nintendo was a PS4 of its era, right? It was like all graphics, like this is the most powerful thing. Even the Super Nintendo itself, I feel like they were intentionally going for a futuristic look. And honestly, nine-year-old cat bought it. Like I was like going, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that is definitely futuristic. Wow, look how amazing it is. Compare and contrast to the Sega Genesis. Well, the Sega Genesis looked cool. It looked kind of industrial, right? Well, the Super Nintendo looked like it had been brought down by aliens circa 1991. Now it looks pretty <laughs> toy-like, but at the time it looked awesome. Yeah. It's funny because I, I lived through this era in Japan where, you know, and, and obviously Nintendo was steering from Japan as well back then, much more than, you know, NOA wasn't, wasn't empowered the same way that they are now with having the biggest market. And like in Japan, you know, the, the Mega Drive, the Genesis popped up, but it was small, right? Like Sonic was known, but it, when you walked around in Akihabara or Shibuya, where all, all the game stores, Shinjuku, where all the game stores were, Nintendo was just dominating. Mm. It was the Super Famicom was everywhere. That was the talk of the town. You'll see like, after a while, you see like little stands pop up with the 3DO and then, you know, they were just gone a couple of weeks later. And it was just... You can see how if you had a very Japan-centric vision of the games industry that, you know, that it took Nintendo a long time to overcome that hubris. And it wasn't until, you know, sports games started to dominate in the U.S. and, and sell better on the Genesis that I think they, they woke up to that. 
pair I would kill to have been in Akihabara circa 1991, <laughs> seeing the scenes, oh, what, you know, being able to go into the store when all the kids were lining up because the Super Nintendo, Super Famicom launch was such a big deal in Japan to the point that they actually shipped them at night because they were afraid the Yakuza were going to hijack shipments and Whoa. sell them on the black market. That was how <laughs> anticipated this thing was. So I would, I remember, and like this, this little baby here, I, I picked up in Akihabara at, there was a, 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 they had these small windows in these big shops specifically for these uh, day of release order pickups. And like, you didn't pre-order anything, you just lined up. And so I went in the morning, the day before Final Fantasy came out, I think they, like a lot of games always came out earlier than the actual release date. And like, you could pick them up in Akihabara the day before. And like, I was in a long line that went around the block and magically and somehow everybody got a copy but mm -hmm. it was just every time one of these big games came came out it was just madness well, that was lines, is that your, lines of people that pattern is was that your original by... copy yeah yeah these are all my the are you ones holding up four or, or five or six six this six. is six okay yeah, yeah but that that pattern for waiting for the next rpg around the block like that's like a dragon quest forward thing right that was like a common thing but it's nice to be able to get them because right now yeah. we wait in online <laughs> queues and still can't get the stuff um it must yep. have also been nice to be able to buy final fantasy 5 because <laughs> we didn't even hear about that here. oh yeah Final fantasy yeah. extreme yes yeah. extreme. that's what it was right. going to be and then we got mystic quest instead here yeah but it, but it was also you, you know like it, it, it these it was the the big um square and enix games two separate companies at the time that really created these this these giant lines, right? Like sometimes a, a Nintendo game would come out and it would be, you know, for something like uh, Mario, I'm sure there, there was a line, well, it was launch day, but like it was really these big RPGs that moved the needle. And, and so that, you know, Nintendo probably should have paid a little bit more attention going into the N64 when none of those publishers were signed on to make games. Yep. And not only that, the Super Nintendo Think about the fact that DQ5 came out in like 91, 92, and then Final Fantasy IV came out just about the same time. So the Super Nintendo had that one-two punch almost immediately. It was a little like having kind of the God of War and the Horizon Forbidden West, even though they weren't first party. But it was on that level in Japan, at least. Not in North America, but yep. Japan. It wouldn't be... And then lots of... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, it wouldn't be until Donkey Kong Country that the United States would go... Uh, Ape poopy, or uh, oh. or uh, the Super Nintendo. Like that's when when things just went off the rails. I think, and, and it just got really big um, because kids here uh, just were really into 3D graphics and did not want to uh, get through those long Final Fantasy uh, storylines for whatever reason. This year, I decided I actually wanted to like follow hockey a little bit more than just the most casual of casuals. So I subscribed to a service that streams all of the NHL to your television, uh, the Boston Bruins home opener. I went to watch it and boom, blackout restrictions apply, which I thought was kind of ridiculous because I'm still 200 miles away from Boston, but whatever. Had I had NordVPN, that wouldn't have been a problem. I would have just gone in, changed my settings to another geographic area, and boom, I could have been watching all the Boston Bruins home games like it was nothing at all. So now I have NordVPN and I can watch the home games of my local teams streaming without being frustrated. It's the same thing with like Netflix. It has all these complicated licensing rules, which from one country to another don't really make sense. So something you could watch on South Korean Netflix, you won't be able to watch on the United States Netflix unless NordVPN, boom, switch to South Korea and you're watching whatever 
Korean drama that you want. I highly recommend you do that. I haven't done it myself, but people seem to enjoy them. And who am I to try to bring down people's enjoyment? Uh, NordVPN, more than just entertainment and sports availability, it's going to protect you, especially when you're traveling, when you're using public Wi-Fi. People are trying to get in there. They're creeping on you. Bad actors, people trying to steal your password, your bank account details. Who knows what the government's doing these days? I can't keep track. They're all over the damn place. NordVPN. It's going to protect you. It's going to protect up to six devices because I know you have at least that many devices in front of you right now that can hook up to the internet. Boom. Fastest VPN in the world. You're not going to get any buffering. You're not going to get any lagging. Uh, it's going to stop your ISP from bandwidth throttling, which they do. That's kind of sneaky, especially how much you're paying those guys. There's threat protection to protect you from viruses and malicious malware and whatever else. Uh, um unsavory actors are out there. If you want to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash NintendoVC. That's nordvpn.com slash NintendoVC. Victor Charlie. Uh, that link is also going to give you four extra months on the two-year plan. There is no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nice of them, and I appreciate that. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. They love those curvy monkeys. <laughs> well, moving from curvy monkeys to the games that first came out, the July 1991 issue, uh, which also featured the famous uh, Gulf War Game Boy, which oh you can sometimes God. see if you go to E3. Oh, yeah, I had uh, that issue. Oh, my God, I remember that letter very well. I mean, it's very yeah. famous, but I definitely had this issue. I remember it. That, that's the game those who don't know there was display in the, the one that was bombed store. and survived it could yeah. still be turned on yeah well it's in the nintendo or it was in the rockefeller center nintendo world store uh i think that was what it was called and it was on and playing the tetris like splash screen <laughs> on the display it's so crazy really neat but yeah it's like totally melted yeah. out around the dot matrix display yeah go go google it it's it's pretty cool but that issue had the first like look at all the games it was the future future gaming with the super nintendo entertainment system and a fold-out poster which was the games that were in the works for the super nintendo which i actually have hanging up over there which you can't see right now because there's a, a pipe in the way but um yeah it this one got me hyped it's got act razor it's got uh, f-zero it's just more marketing it's telling you about rotation and scaling mm -hmm. and animation i didn't know what these were i just knew that the genesis didn't have it and therefore the choice of console that I had made was going to be the superior one. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and, and you just and you were right, mm -hmm. dude. The, come I on, was, the Mode Seven, the Mode Seven was such a freaking amazing innovation at the time. Such a absolutely such a great thing. Yeah, I uh, Pilot Wings is was one of my favorite games. I'm the world's premier Pilot Wings player to this day. Who are you? World's good at premier. Wow, I'm extremely good at Pilot Wings. Wow. Like I, I make it the, so that the the instructors have like sometimes they have their eyes are real big and they're crying yep. because I did so well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can. When I was younger, I could ace every single level. Like I would get the absolute best score on all of them. But like yeah. this, these Mode Seven graphics, I would go to sleep at night and like see this in my my eyes when I would close my eyes because it was mm -hmm. so 
revolutionary. Now it looks terrible. I don't know. I think but it still then, looks good for a Super Nintendo game for sure. Well, yeah. Yep. There's the problem with the interpolation, so it has that that weirdness mm. that somebody I've got I think like two years ago actually fixed through a new algorithm, but. You're, yeah. you're wrong. It looks amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, I, oh, okay. it, Wait, it was, where's this guy going? I don't know. No, you I mean, got a some. You got a land. This is a oh, pro yeah, player yeah, right yeah. here. Mode seven. Yeah, this was is used this is do... not going to work out. Nope, he's going to die. No, oh, he's going to make oh, no. it. He's going to make it. Maybe it's Seth. Oh, 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 that oh, might be what? me. <laughs> yeah, that's oh, my wow, gosh. Wow, great landing. Okay. So back. Somebody did a hundred on a moving platform. If you didn't watch this, the, the mode seven very, very was difficult. used to, you know, simulate the 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 track in Mario Kart. It was used mm -hmm. this way. It was used mm -hmm. sometimes it just was... to like stretch an enemy on on screen. And um, yeah, uh, Turtles uh, Arcade. Yep. It was in uh, Mario it's... World with the stretching um, Bowser clown car. It yep. looked really cool. I love that. It was kind of a gimmick, but uh, I mean, was but it? it was in a lot of. When it was done well, it was done very well. It was a step in the oh, yeah. race to 3D. So, like, Vector Graphics had done 3D pretty well. Then iRobot had done the filled-in polygons. And then there was just, like, a few racing arcade games, stuff that were able to pull off a kind of 3D-ish look. And, like, having a home system that had anything remotely resembling 3D was interesting. And then Star Fox was the next thing. So it's, it's really funny how Nintendo was just like, we got to get to 3D, we got to get to 3D, we got to get to 3D. And I know, you know, the development of Mario 64 and the Nintendo 64 was all about that, too. And, like, I don't, the PlayStation wasn't particularly good at 3D. Like, the 64 was. No. You could see that in Nintendo's sites. Like, we got to get to 3D. So can so we in talk the, about in the beginning, go ahead, Per. Sorry. No, in the beginning in the beginning, you're right. You know, there there were mode seven effects like the you know the flying clown car thing rotating and it looked really cool. But there were a couple of games and I was holding up Goemon 2, which never came to the US, which is honestly one of the best games ever made for the Super NES. It's Journey cool of the Mystical Ninja in the US. But this is the the sequel to the mystical the legend of the mystical mm -hmm. ninja that you guys right. got, right? Which yeah. was butchered in translation. Which has like this, this game, giant bosses in it, right? It looks this amazing. game goes completely, yeah. This game goes completely nuts. And what the Mystical Ninja games did, and Super Castlevania did that too, was it actually used rotation for puzzles, where you're flipping the entire screen so the dungeons can be turned on their side and upside down, and so ceiling or wall becomes the the surface yeah. uh, at the bottom. And like you, you just hadn't seen stuff like that before. And like it, yeah. it took a couple of years for smart developers like you know Konami's Osaka Team or Treasure to figure this out, and then it made for really good gameplay elements. What was interesting yeah. was that the Super Nintendo's processor was actually fairly slow, all things considered. That was where the whole Sega Genesis blast processing nonsense <laughs> came from. And yep. But it made a difference with the sports games, which is one of the big reasons that the Genesis was ahead of the Super Nintendo for a few years, especially in terms of NHL and Madden. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Actually, the, uh, the Genesis was twice as fast uh, of a clock speed. And I know this because I wrote... A compare and contrast essay on the two for my ninth grade English class. So but it didn't, didn't that make was the any only difference, place. though. It could just process code faster, but it didn't have any like direct effect on the game. No, it didn't. It didn't make any difference. But you it know, made it hard to die hard for. Yeah, it probably made it really well, annoying yeah. to program for. And it, th then uh, the only th that was part of the reason why the blast processing happened. The other was just the name mode seven because people could just drop that. Like that wasn't really a thing at the time. Like my console has this. Thing. Like it was 16-bit, which they both had, and then suddenly Nintendo was able to say, but we have this one other thing, Mode 7. And then later they did that with the Super FX chip, right? Like those were like these yeah. buzz technology words that, that were augmenting the Super Nintendo, the Genesis. They just faked it on the Genesis side. They just made something up, which is, I think, but, brilliant. 
Yeah, and the Genesis was a weird. I, I had the Mega Drive, which didn't even have a stereo output. You had to go yeah. through the headphone jack. Genesis it was really awful. No, the system system was kind of uh, messy, but like when you unleash the best developers on it, right? Like take a game like Gunstar Heroes, something like that, where they're actually messing with like early polygons as for for bosses. Uh, you could you could see that the system had some power to it, but like Super NES just made so many things easy with Mode Seven that would be really difficult to do on the on the Genesis. And so I think we got a little bit more creativity and like. Play a game like Looney Tunes. That's again, that's from Konami as well on the Super NES, and it's almost as fast as a as a Sonic game, right? Like you just had to yeah. spend a little time, get to learn the hardware, and then you could figure it out. The colors on the Super Nintendo were so vibrant. Um, yes, the, when you yeah, just looked at the stills. screenshots, the still screenshots in a magazine, often they looked amazing. And one of the trends, you were, I think you were just mentioning Looney Tunes. There was a big trend yeah. toward making games featuring cartoon characters because this was the first time where it was like. It looks like a cartoon. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> Especially in static screenshots, you're like, "This is undistinguishable." I feel like I'm watching an yeah. actual Roadrunner cartoon here. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the color Pixels. palette, or available color palette for the Super NES was like thirty-two thousand mm -hmm. something, and for the uh, Genesis, I think it was only like two hundred fifty-six. So it was a, a massive difference. And like you said, it just made it look like a cartoon. But the launch lineup for the Super NES was pretty solid. We had F-Zero, we had Pilot Wings, we had Gradius, or is it Gradius? Depends on who you talk to. Gradius 3 and SimCity. Who didn't love SimCity? Um, I gotta ask you guys, which of these launch titles do you think still hold up? Any of them? All of them? None of I mean, them? I mean, obviously, come on. A lot of them, actually. Uh, yeah. F-Zero, Pilot Wings, obviously Super Mario World. I thought it was interesting that Mario World at the time was kind of poorly received as well or, or as poorly received as a mario game can be because it was seen as kind of the lesser sequel to mario 3 and they're like oh nintendo's kind of out of ideas this game is really rushed <laughs> and now i think that a lot of people will say it's the absolute best one because of the more open-ended yeah. nature of the exploration but at the time people were like mario world's kind of a letdown and wow. this game isn't backwards compatible super nintendo oh, like, yeah. nintendo's losing its you're touch. a little baby for liking it Yep. I mean, wow. there were actual news reports that were saying, like, parents furious because Super Nintendo is not backward <laughs> compatible. Nintendo's just trying to do another cash grab. Typical. Cash grab, yeah. Yep. I didn't know that. Out of those games, I, I would definitely say Super Mario World holds on, uh, holds up the best. I mean, just kind of visuals and music because Mode 7 does look a bit dated now, right? Because you have these flat planes. And so yeah. F-Zero is a little bit harder to enjoy now when compared to polygonal games and Pilot Wings as well. Gradius is interesting because it should hold up so well because it's a 2d schmup right but that game infamously had issues with the super nes clock speed and you get so oh, much yeah. slowdown it's a feature the moment there are lots of enemies on the screen <laughs> and they try to stick closely to you know the arcade uh, uh brethren here and like it just slows down so much that i'd like to I think see if somebody played this now well somebody <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> an emulation maybe, specialist right? fixed it so that it actually didn't have the slowdown and people are like this is actually impossible yeah it's impossible. <laughs> there you go <laughs> that's why you have to use the konami code but make yeah. sure you oh, there's some trick to it i think you have to use the top buttons instead of left and right on the d-pad i think the... for gradius 3 it's just a pause and enter i can't remember yeah yeah um, but the but the other issue you have with games like F Zero are now I think it will feel weird for people to play it with digital controls, right? Mm -hmm. You're so used to having nuanced oh, yeah. analog controls, and so playing it, it's like right, like the way the the ships move, it's so digital and fast. I think a lot of people yeah. just constantly crash when playing it. 
Sims have you ever watched videos of people who like set world records in F-Zero? Crashing is part of the way that you set world records. You have to bounce off of uh, corners and stuff. Yeah, I know. It's oh, man, really? Absolutely yep. insane. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I was going to say SimCity had a, a mark of Nintendo on it, which is really cool. Like, yeah, it was one of the biggest games in the world at the time, and it, it just wasn't going to be a great port because it was you know, a little bit muddier and less clear on the Super Nintendo. So they just added a bunch of cool stuff to it with Professor Wright. I think that was what they called them. Yeah, Professor Wright. Yep. Yeah, He's in Smash then, Brothers to this yeah. day. I think oh, people yes, would right. be like, why is this guy putting mm -hmm. a skyscraper up? But that was kind of a nod to the heritage <laughs> of SimCity. Yeah. Definitely wasn't Instead my preferred a, way to play SimCity at the time, but I get it. I get it. Oh, I played many, many hours of SimCity on the Super Nintendo. Remember, uh, Bowser, instead of Godzilla, came and destroyed your city mm -hmm. uh, at random it's, times. It's weird that, like, yeah, Nintendo was really closely linked with SimCity, just like they were with Tetris, obviously, during yeah, the, exactly. the Game Boy days and afterwards. Mm -hmm. And they kind of let the SimCity one go, I think, after SimCity 64, that sort of the relationship, that, that closeness got to to make yeah, unique games for Nintendo um, kind of ended. It's it's interesting. I wish they'd bring that back. If, mm -hmm. if you want that SimCity itch on a Nintendo uh, console, I recommend checking out A-Train. That is uh, yeah. a nice, fun little city builder that I didn't think oh, cool. I was going to enjoy, and I bought ironically. Yeah. And then I built <laughs> a minor obsession for a few days there. But uh, the first those first few months of the Super NES coming out, we had you know a great launch lineup, and then we had ActRaiser, mm -hmm. Final yes. Fantasy II, Final Fight, Super Ghouls and Ghosts all came in November of that year. So like, oh, boom, boom, boom. Um, Final Fantasy of those was, Final Fantasy was my favorite by like far. Yeah, I, that was the system was seller for me. I had to buy a Super Nintendo only once Final Fantasy IV came out or two. You mean Final Fantasy II, right? Yeah. Easy type. Uh, I couldn't believe it. It yeah. was the most amazing game I'd ever seen or played. And Final Fantasy was my favorite oh, game at the time. And so, so yeah, good. it was the system seller for me. And shout, shout out to ActRaiser, you know, it's, it's almost a, a forgotten franchise now. You know, there have been homages, but we haven't gotten real ActRaiser games. Um, and and there's, even the second one that followed wasn't as good as the first one, but like one of the best soundtracks ever in video games. Yeah. They used Mode 7 for like zooming into the levels. It really made, like created this ominous atmosphere when you entered a world. It had it had a little SimCity-ish like simulation element and side scroll. Yeah. And then was, I uh, love that game. I love all of these games on the list, except I was very disappointed when I first booted up Final Fight on my Super Famicom. Oh, yeah. It was because the one thing that I loved so much from the arcades was it was no longer two-player co-op. They dropped two-player, and then Guy was gone. Yeah. And, you know, uh, yeah. so you only had two selectable characters. And, you know, Guy, they, they released a special edition where Guy was swapped in later called Final Fight Guy. <laughs> yeah that was really bizarre what a twist and then they re also released a chibi final fight on nes called mighty final fight oh nice I played that one. I was unaware of that it's Hard probably one of the best games where you can eat a hamburger on the street <laughs> like bar none oh, that's right um december one of my favorite super nes games of all time super castlevania 4 came out and it's my favorite just because of that first level jazzy kind of music that the <laughs> remake of vampire killer good, and jazziness yeah i love it it's, games like Act this was actually the first castlevania game that i played to completion i never beat wow. any of the ones on the nes well they were very difficult games at the time so that that makes sense you could use game genie or codes to beat uh two pretty easily but three was really hard one was really hard and then um uh yeah then just waving around your whip like that 
Dude, <laughs> I was awesome. I was so mesmerized by the whip. Like yeah, I just stood too. around at the beginning, and just went, "What?" You're just like dangling <laughs> the whip. Yep. And there was very few scenes where you use the whip as a, um, a you know a, a conveyance form, a grappling hook. But yep. uh, they were really great. And that, of course, you know, was at the height of Indiana Jones uh, uh, hype. So. And they rotate the yeah. screen in one of those. Right, I was going to say. And the hallway, they got a Mote 7 hallway that spins this yeah. way, right? Like, great game. Yeah. Castlevania was really kind now. of underrepresented on the Super Nintendo, though. Is this and then the yeah. really terrible version of uh, Dracula X. Uh, it's yeah. an unplayably slow, oh, horrible port. Well, people expensive. say Bloodlines is maybe... Yeah. Uh, a lot of consensus has kind of surrounded Bloodlines being the best 16-bit Castlevania. Isn't that crazy? And then, of course, everything changed with Symphony. But, um, yeah, like, like it, there should have been five Castlevanias on the Super Nintendo. It's just crazy. Looking yeah. at the... Wasn't there... There was... There... Kid Dracula, right? Like you got that in the U.S. too. I no, that, that was Game Boy, US, though. Right? That was on Game Boy yeah. here, yeah. and it was on Famicom and, in the in Japan. That's what it was. Yeah. Looking at these videos, I'm just I'm having memories of how I didn't get a Super Nintendo because my parents wouldn't buy me one, and so I was stuck with a Nintendo. Mean. And the difference between a Nintendo and a Super Nintendo felt like such a gap. I mean, you look at the difference between yeah. say a PS4 and a PS5, and there's definitely differences. But at the same time, we're getting a 60 FPS patch on Horizon Zero Dawn, and everybody's <laughs> like, "Wow, this four-year-old game looks incredible." The difference between a four-year-old game in the Super Nintendo era, like, you might as well have been looking at frickin' Stone Age graphics by yeah. comparison. Just yeah. the leap from Ghouls and Ghosts to Super Ghouls and Ghosts, mm -hmm. or the leap from the original Castlevania to Castlevania IV, yeah. it was such an enormous jump, and I'd be staring at, I could just stare at a magazine and just <laughs> drool at these screenshots. Just the screenshots were enough. Oh, man. Yeah. It was like suddenly, suddenly the shapes that you had to imagine were trees were actually trees, and you had these colorful <laughs> landscapes. And then, and then the motion, the Mode Seven stuff on top of it was was just really, really cool. And they, I mean, these games are still so infinitely playable. That's why I love that we have some of the good ones on the uh, on the Switch now. That yes, if you, you scroll all the way down to the bottom, yeah, there's some, some good games on there. Yep. Um, I mean, and and the, the screw little, this game, uh, by the way. Super Nintendo Mini has a bunch of good games on it, so that was that's a good reference. That is also true. If you have one, I which I'm lucky enough to have. But are those uh, are those otherwise permanently out of print now? You think? Yes, those are not coming back. Same with the NES Classic. They're because okay, they announced that, right? Back. They're like, we're not putting these back. Hope you got one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they they did a second run of the NES Classic just mm -hmm. because they had no idea that it would be so popular, mm -hmm. supposedly. Mm -hmm. And then they did a second run, but with the Super NES Classic, no such luck. You could get a Super Famicom Classic for mm. cheaper and do what you want with it. Winkity, wink, wink. Now, I need to ask my panel, uh, what, uh, where does the Super NES sit in your personal listing, your tier ranking of the Nintendo consoles? Sam, where, where does the Super NES sit? For, uh, for me, it would be uh, uh, directly after the NES. The NES is my favorite console ever, and uh, this is just an extension of that. And those are the two consoles that I spent the most learning the libraries, collecting, um, you know, kind of uh, I have a, a completist mentality for N NES, and this uh, Super Nintendo would be the, the system I have the most of, uh, you know, the cartridges besides that. So really obsessed with it. Now, also yeah, showing the, uh... my favorite game for Super Nintendo right now ever, Metal Warriors. Mm. Nice. <laughs> You say that it was uh, the extension of the NES, but in a lot of ways you could call it a super NES. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I don't know why they let me host. Uh, Kat, where does the super NES sit for you? Oh, it's the best one. 
I, I mean, yeah. a lot of it is, you know, what did you grow up with? I know a lot of people who grew up with the NES and were like, yeah, that's the best one. But the Super Nintendo was truly the Ninten Nintendo at the height of its powers. It understood the, uh, the hardware so well. It, was, it had really refined the mm -hmm. platformer into a fine art. Games like uh, mm. Mario World 2, Super Metroid, I think, is the best pure video game ever made. It's just freaking gorgeous to this day. Super Nintendo games hold up in a way that almost yeah. no other console holds up. And then you look at the brilliance that was coming out of Square and Enix, like those companies would never again truly match the creative, just awesomeness that was Final Fantasy VI and such. All due respect to the PlayStation, which was also awesome in terms of those days, that was really the golden age of JRPGs. But the Super Nintendo, like I just go back to games like Chrono Trigger, which for my money is the best JRPG ever made. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, Super Nintendo, if you put me on a desert island and you just gave me a Super Nintendo and the full library, I could be happy. I really could. I'm, <laughs> I got a Super Analog NT in the mail right now. Yeah. Sam is giving me a CR television. Yep. And I'm going to be playing some nice. Super Nintendo when I get home. That is extremely exciting. What are your, uh, your favorite games? Real quick. Oh, Super, I guess you said them. Super Metroid, Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VI. I mean, those right there are all in my, like personal pantheon dragon quest 5 not as well known in america but i for my money one of the best games i gotta I've check made. that out yep yeah it's uh on ds and it's ex it's expensive so. oh yeah you should Here, play it where does it <laughs> my favorite console of all time is the super famicom uh the, the super nes just I, it, nothing beats it and, and as a matter of fact like before this episode i looked up our old top 100 games of all time uh super nes games of all time list and i'm like you just go through the entire list and I want to play each one of these hundred games. And like, that's very rare when you, uh, when you look at a, an entire console library that there's so many good games. And then our top 100 doesn't even have some of my favorites. Like I, mm. you know, having, having played it in Japan, I got games like Live Alive, which is yeah. this square RPG. That's just absolutely stunning. We had Super Famicom Wars. We had Fire Emblem, Moncho no Nazo, the, the, um, was the mystery of the emblem. Um, we had Goemon 2, we had Goemon 3, which was a Link to the Past-like game in the Goemon universe. Oh, uh, you, got, you guys got, we had Soul Blader, you guys got Soul Blazer, which was, you know, kind of Enix trying to do a Zelda game where you create the world and, and liberate it. Man, like, just think about it. Link to the Past, best game ever made. Super Mario World, Super Metroid, Final Fantasy 4, 5, and 6, Chrono Trigger, Super Street Fighter, mm -hmm. Yoshi's Island, Super Mario Kart. It's like Ogre Battle, March of the Black Queen. Oh, yeah. Ogre. RPG RPGs, yeah. tactics ogre. We had RPGs. We had like, in addition to all the Square and Enix stuff, we had uh, we had Albert Odyssey. We had um, Bananas. Breath of Breath of Bananas. Fire. Like yeah. we had all these games. Yeah, mm -hmm. Secret of Mana. We had Saken Three. So Great. you know, a game yeah. that didn't come to the US. Mm -hmm. Just the library is so rich, and the you know, as an RPG console, companies just experimented with so many different game systems. From you know. Um, real time to to turn base to like these kind of crazy systems it's just it's the best nothing beats it and we haven't even yeah. talked about the explosion of fighting games i mean yeah when street fighter oh 2 came out multiplayer on Nintendo, exclusive street yeah. fighter 2 it was super so Nintendo. incredible i mean it was just if you went to blockbuster and tried to rent super street fighter 2 good luck because that game was out all the time 
And it, it really was, the arcade was coming home. Mm -hmm. our, th this was almost as close to arcade perfect as you could get at the time. The sprites yeah. were so gorgeous. And even to this day, uh, still holds up. Yep, there's, there was a Bomberman. very good reason to buy an Atari to play Space Invaders at home, and then the NES to play uh, a bunch of arcade classics at home. And this, man, arcades could not have come at the, had a resurgence at, the better, at a better time because the fighting game explosion was so big. And honestly, like, I really liked Mortal Kombat on the Super mm -hmm. Nintendo. I thought it was like, it looked great. Mortal Kombat 2 was good. Yeah. It, it, and Mortal Kombat 2 was really good because it had it a bad rap it, it because didn't it didn't have the, the blood. But. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I think you know the Genesis had the, the blood advantage, but it, those games were just smoother and better and more fun on uh, on, yeah. on Super Nintendo. The, the multi, I, I played a lot with my college friends. We played multi-tap games, so Bomberman just oh, yeah. completely dominated our time too. So like, just as a multiplayer machine too, it it just succeeded. Big sprawling single-player action and RPG games, and then all the multiplayer stuff: Tetris, Dr. Yeah. Mario, Bombless. We haven't mentioned Yoshi's okay. Island yet. Oh, no, I haven't even mentioned mm. how it has many of the soundtracks on the Super Nintendo when they were making use of that of that Super Nintendo sound chip, which was difficult because a lot of third party games would just be the the guitar going down and out and out and out, whatever. <laughs> but companies like Square could just I mean, it, it was beautiful. They There's a reason strings. that they got like full, yeah. like multi-tracked string orchestra sounds. Or well, it had, and let's mm -hmm. bass. Let's not forget bass about that sounded really good. Flat bass. Yeah, and orchestra hits, of course. Oh, yeah, dun, the most important. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Feature prominently in uh, in TNMT. Yeah, and Star Fox. Yeah. Oh my god. machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's obviously, I mean, I think it's Rebbit, Rebbit. This is my favorite Nintendo console of all time. I, uh, my brother and I worked in the blueberry fields of down East Maine in the summer of 1991 to raise enough money to buy our Super NES from the JCPenney catalog. We ordered it from the, uh, the, the wish book. So I didn't get it at launch, but I did get it, I think, in like before Thanksgiving. So I might have gotten it used because I waited long enough, which was like super I weird at the time to have a used console. Yeah, I I gave it away when PlayStation came out. I was like, well, I'm never going to go back to this. And I like regret it so much because I had, you know, a huge box of games and I had the, uh, the Super NES Advantage controller, which was not a first party. It was made by ASCII, actually, which they also made the best third party Super NES mm. controller, which is you can look up mm. now. But uh, yeah, I regret it. I, I wish I had all those games still. I, I, my, unfortunately, my original Super Famicom, I think broke it uh, i think fran broke it in the office um, <laughs> but i have a replacement super famicom but my uh my girlfriend bought me that one for my birthday back uh in in japan and of course now we've we're married with three kids it was true love oh cheapers yeah. creepers that warms your heart doesn't it i didn't get a super nintendo till 1999 and i was working at kfc at the time and one of my co-workers <laughs> had two and said do you want one and i was like mm. yes and wow. that, I'm probably sitting here today because they gave me that Super Nintendo because wow. the first game I bought was Final Fantasy VI. Nice. And oh, that began same. my career in the games industry. Oh, here it is. Same. No, it was the same for me. Super, Super Famicom got me back into video games after having, having fallen off after the Atari age. I had an Atari home computer, 600XL with a RAM expansion, all of that. Uh, and then just kind of during my college days, I just played a little flight simulator on, a, on, on an old PC, but that was it. And then... The Super Famicom got me into it to a point where I, I was like, maybe there could be a career here. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Super Life. Nintendo. <laughs> thank you, Super Nintendo, for, mm -hmm. for, all, for all that you've done for us over the years. 
thank you for joining us on this memory lane walk through super nintendo's 30th anniversary which is crazy to me super nintendo is now old enough to start pondering its own mortality and what that means for itself um it's older than ign which is saying something um but now we have some nintendo news to get through probably very quickly because we i could have talked about super nintendo for five hours same if i'm being why not let's go i'm not going anywhere (laughs) that's right We have a strict time. You guys are in a real studio now, and they have to clean up after you're all done. They have to de-Nintendoize the place. Um, WarioWare demo is out. Has anyone played it? No. Yes, <laughs> I did. It's uh, it is WarioWare, and it's uh, it's Super. as silly, it's as silly and as nasty and as weird as you remember them. Like I actually, I they they have a new twist where you know the the different characters have different abilities and they're mm-hmm. unleashed on the same styles of puzzles. So, you know, whether you can like push sideways or jump up or throw a boomerang, you're cast into very similar looking puzzles. So your brain has to adjust to, oh yeah, yeah, my power yes. is going sideways rather than up. And I really dig that. And it's, you know, it's the same kind of like poo-poo and toilet humor that WarioWare always has. <laughs> you know, his favorite fruit is garlic. So... Um, you know what to expect, but um, I haven't played it with two players yet. I want to. I want to try out the. No, I haven't which either. It's really fun. Is there? Is there? So I, I get the the fundamental twist you just explained that like now you have to kind of figure because the thing the the conceit is that you have to always figure out the game before you yep. become good at it. You need to figure it out in like two seconds the first time you play it. Yeah. So, oh. And that means that for each character you have to figure out how to complete the game this time in a different way. Yes. Right? So yep. knowing that. Are they also using it as a um, spotlight for the Switch's fundamentally interesting control scheme? Or no. are they just abandoning no. that? Because they very specifically said in the, in the thing this week, which we're watching right now, which is like, it's just thumbstick and NA button or whatever, right? Yep. Yeah. No, it, it, that's, it, that, that's, it. A one, that's the one disappointing factor, right? Like, if you remember WarioWare Twisted, really had this amazing haptic feedback feature it, it just it just felt so unique and different to this day when you pick it up it's just awesome and like this game doesn't appear to be doing that you know so uh, uh it's unfortunate but at the same time you know i still have I still remember being supremely annoyed at games like, you know, uh, you know, there's a certain Metroid game that made you use the Wii remotes features and like it happens to be the worst Metroid game because of that. Like, I don't want to point and then turn sideways and all of that. And maybe maybe it was smart that they were being a little bit more careful with this one, but. It does. It does feel like a little bit of a missed opportunity here. Well, it's still like two hundred new micro. One two switch. Yeah, like this could have been the one two switch for the switch, right? Like that's that what I was expecting right. at launch. You know, like that would have yeah. made total sense. But I think yeah. you know, there's enough permutations of the uh, the the Joy Cons and, and the Switch itself now that like I don't know if that's really feasible. They kind of gave up on the you know on the on the Rumble a bit. I you know, know. HD Rumble. This PlayStation in the game. Mm. PlayStation is doing the most interesting stuff in the in the first party games, Absolutely. like Astro. But um, yeah, would love to see more of that. Yeah, uh, I've been playing it uh, for a little while. I didn't actually play the original one. I think I played. I know I've played one of the WarioWare, so I can't speak to it. But yeah, it, it just it gives me anxiety to have to learn a game in two seconds. It's like it's too much for me. It's too fast. It's, so. oh, man, it's so fun, though. And it's like they do I mean, remix fun, yeah, but things. I love the yeah, Mario yeah. Land remix. 
Yeah, all the yeah, retro references reference. are just fantastic. Yeah. And then, and then I, I just think it's the closest thing to a kind of a <laughs> arcade remix that you can play right now. They're very arcade. It's oh, like when yeah. you walk up to an arcade machine, you have to figure out what the heck to do first. That's and true. That's your first quarter or 10, right? I really like that about it. These very strange the, that... Go ahead, Pear. Oh, no, I was going to say, the, the, there, there are these strange obsessions that when somebody watches you play... There's this weirdness about pulling out nose hairs and things where people yeah. go, what the hell are you playing, right? But um, it, it, it definitely is a fun party game to bring up. Yeah, I was going to say that I think it's strange that Nintendo <clears throat> had their big push to get into mobile gaming a few years ago and then abandoned it recently. And they never put this out there. Like this should have just been a mobile game and you could get, you know, like 20 mini games for 99 cents and just mm -hmm. keep rolling it out. As it is now, this game is Forty-nine ninety-nine, which is less than a normal game, but it still feels like this would be a fun little thing that you could download for free and then just buy more mini games as yep. you go. But this is my know. one series. I always say when people are like, "What series do you want to bring back from the dead?" Like this is the one that I consider was dead because there's only a remix uh, and then a weird spin-off game on the 3DS where you you know it's like a studio mm -hmm. game and like that that was it. So it's like this is really like a comeback of a, of a full WarioWare game. I'm really excited for it. It does remind me of the days when there's just weird games on DS like every other week. So yeah, maybe we should we should bring those days back. But uh, we also got this is thrilling to me a new Metroid Dread trailer. Yeah, today. great trailer today. A great trailer. Yeah, great trailer. But don't don't watch it if you want to go in <laughs> unspoiled. Man, do they show too much? They show they really way do. too much. I don't know. So what do they show? How, they how is it spoiled? Come on. Oh, man. I don't want to. There's an enemy. I think that they were uh -huh. showing maybe the first minute or so. Like, that seemed like a very early sequence that they were establishing the very concept of the game. That I think they were kind of keeping that secret to this point. But they said that this is the grand finale for Samus Aran's, yeah. you know, saga with the Metroids. And it's also bringing it full circle with how she was raised and everything. I'm not going to go into that too much. But no. uh, the main village definitely ties into her origin story as we saw with a certain flashback or yeah. what looked like a yeah. flashback. Do we have to be this careful is, about what way, we talk about? Because I thought that yeah, trailer was, uh, you're right, it was totally revealing. I didn't think about that because- yeah. I, man, I would be careful. Okay, well, I, I will be. Uh, lore fans though that really like Zero, Mission, and Prime, which are my favorite Metroid games, uh, I think this is a more of a continuation of those storylines than other M's kind of baby verse that they kind of made that was also in um, you know Samus Returns. So I think this is a, a really good sign. This new trailer. This is not. We're not showing the new trailer, by the yeah, way. The, the, the footage good. we're showing. We're showing the last one. But yeah, there's a. It, it's just. It's a. Um, it's a great trailer. If you don't care about like yeah. story spoilers or seeing some of the abilities and weapons revealed before you play it, watch it because it'll get you more excited for sure. It shows oh, different environments absolutely. that you haven't seen yet. Shows you a very important boss, uh, and then it shows uh, some of her weapons abilities that um, that that look really really cool uh, for for solving certain puzzles. And so after you've seen this trailer, it'll be like you know when you go back to an early Zelda game now and you see a hookshot hookshot target and you're like i know what i use for that it'll reveal what some of those things are so just be careful i had been a little bit yeah. uh uncertain about the actual look of the game i was like i don't know this kind of looks like a budget game that new trailer like definitely raised my excitement mm -hmm. a fair amount from 100 percent 
It's flashy yep. and then it yeah. has a diff. Like I don't like the mech designs in the first trailer. I mean, they're fine, but it showed too much land. Exactly, and this shows yeah. the bio side of mm -hmm. of uh, Metroid, which is like you know spooky alien stuff. Like I really prefer that in my Metroid as opposed to the. There was tech one facilities. in particular that looked great. I'm not going to say what yep. it was. Yep. Amazing though. I was just like, oh yeah, all right, this is great. Uh -huh. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you, Cat. Like I I was the same. I saw the original trailer. Oh, you know, this it's a Metro game. I'm going to play it. But this one just aesthetically just speaks to me mm -hmm. on a lot of different levels. And I'm I'm Ooh. very very glad that I uh, pre-ordered that special edition now. <laughs> oh no. yeah, what were you gonna say, Pear? I grabbed that too. Yeah, no, it's, it's up to uh, thirty minutes. No, I'd say we, we should do like a spoiler cast sometime after the game is out. But like, yeah, it's uh, my one worry. I had two worries, right? Like that the game was paced like like Samus Returns with all the stop and go. And like they fixed that. You can angle your shots now. And it, it does seem to move at a faster clip. So I'm happy about that. And then the kind of sameness of the environments I was worried about. And the last trailer just shows you all this variety. So mm -hmm. super excited about this. Yep. Yeah. Hype levels are up there, and it launches on October eighth, uh, which is the same day as the Switch OLED or the mm -hmm. SwoLED, however you want to say it. Mm -hmm. um, we got some more uh, news that's in my wheelhouse today, and that was, of course, the Animal Crossing X Puma Collection. Oh boy, uh, <laughs> sneakers! Not not the uh, not the animal, but yeah, look at those things. If you're watching the video right now, these are some some sleek suede Puma shoes, and I love gum soled shoes like this. Probably not going to wear these. I do like to have a little bit of uh, flair to my style, but the pastels don't really match anything that I have. So unfortunately, I won't be picking these up. But is anybody else going to try to pick up some of the Puma collection? I love the color palette. It kind of reminds me of the Animal Crossing Nintendo Switch. So I'm tempted. Yeah, uh, that is... The problem with that is that one time Brian Altano was like, it reminds me of toothpaste. And ever since then... Yeah, oh, it does. For me. Please, yeah. don't but, ruin it for me. I'm sorry. Uh, you can blame Altano. <laughs> I just have myself but, off. I got the full makeup run. It's just sitting in a box waiting for my, you know, collector cred to uh, accumulate. Oh, wow. Yeah. No more. I, I, had to, I, have to, I have to stop with Animal Crossing. I got most of the merch at one point. Like, I got almost everything wow. that came out, and I Ow. became obsessed with it. So... Did you get those those? But, but what does Animal toys? Crossing teach you? It teaches you that exact what consumerism. Capitalism, right? It's like, <laughs> it's like you, you start being, uh, you, you start accumulating, and then I started doing it outside the game. It was a rough year, right? It felt good it's, to accumulate real life Animal Crossing stuff. Retail therapy via Tom Nook. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like I feel like on the day the game is going to shut down, we will see the dark side, and it'll be like uh, <laughs> it'll be like Fight Club, the ending, and uh, Tom Nook is going to blow up all the buildings and. <laughs> You know, the the ultimate lesson is yet to come. <laughs> yeah. While the pixels... Stop, buy, the stop buying things, Sam. I did. I'm not getting these. What is the little pouch, though? I want that. That little pouch? Pa pouch. Yeah, there's like a little... Where you keep your pouch. extra shoelaces. It's a pouch for your shoelaces because cool people don't have shoelaces anymore. Okay, so... That you, is... You, no, if you buy a good, cool, limited edition pair of shoes, it will probably come with more than one color of shoelace like my okay. adidas uh. arizona iced tea limited edition sneakers come with three different colors depending on how i feel and, and your other color is shown here you get kind of a yeah, white off white it's, yeah, white and, 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 and minty green and minty yeah, yeah minty fresh yeah with aqua fresh. Good stuff you won't be mowing your lawn in these pumas that is for sure um oh yeah also gamescom was this week oh yeah <laughs> it was 
little bit, a little bit crazy. Not a big Nintendo showing this year. Um, no, they didn't. They didn't show up for it. No, they didn't. But there was a few Gamescom announcements that related to the Switch. We get Dying Light Platinum Edition, which was announced for the Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. Marvel's Midnight Suns is coming to Switch and everything else. That's good news. And of course, Jumanji, The Curse Returns, Squadron 51, mm-hmm. and Terror of the Hemosaurus? Terror of the Hemosaurus. That's a rampage-like it's, that I'm very into. It's like, it's a, like a Moat 7 rampage, right? Yeah, the like buildings, the buildings get all, all curvy and sway. Yeah. Check out our trailer for that. You and if me you... both, Sam. It looks really good. Yeah. yeah. I like it, too. Okay. Squadron 51 is a, is a black and white World War II uh, airplane shooter. And it looks it looks crazy with, like, it's very Cuphead looking, but, okay. like, like, oh, okay. like, 1930s, black and white, like, newsreels okay. with scratches and crazy narrators and here's stuff. The, here's and like the hemosaurus. Of, yeah. Yeah. There's a sloth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a sloth kaiju. Yeah. Oh, yeah. sloth. Love it. Oh, I'm into this. It's a multiplayer really, game. Yeah. Yeah, it looks 16-bit, but then all the effects are like crazy with, uh, you know, lots of rotations and big particles, and it, it looks really fun. It's made by a and, solo indie studio, too. It's just one yep. guy who claims to be caught in a alternate universe where the 80s and 90s arcade boom never ended, and I'm like, I like this oh, guy. That's so <laughs> yeah. great. There's a back then Jumanji, Jumanji is basically just a, a board game simulation of what Jumanji is like. And so uh, it looks a little bit like Mario Party, but it's actually not. It's whenever you, you're cast into a challenge, the four players have to work together on solving it. So it's like there's, it's not a versus game. It's, it's more like mm. the, the movie story. saw the movie and that cartridge was haunted. So <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. Keep those demons still away haunted from here, me. too. <laughs> There were a bunch of other um, indies, you know, like go. Um, we we had a really cool show on IGN called Awesome Indies that Michael Swaim hosted. So if you want to catch up on that, go to our website. There are so many trailers, and obviously a lot of indies are either already announced for Switch or you know the drill. They'll go out on Steam, and then we get them a year later. It's going to happen. Uh, there's some really right. cool stuff. Yeah, Agreed. and then Tom Marks will be on the show talking about the game that he beat a year ago that just came to Switch. <laughs> That's right. Ooh. So. It's very exciting stuff. Uh, it's time to talk about what we've been playing. Pear, what have you been playing? The WarioWare demo. I got, uh, you know, th- there were so many uh, uh, little releases on PlayStation 5 and Xbox, you know, including Ghost of Tsushima, Iki Island, which just took all my time. Uh, right, I finished it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I was playing around with WarioWare. I put Axiom Verge um, 2 on hold for now as I'm finishing all the other games, but I had to try out Wario, and that, that's pretty much it for now because I'm done with Skyward Sword. Uh, you know, I'm pick crossing as always in the background, but those are just kind <laughs> yeah. of like the... That's you know, when I have a couple of minutes, uh, I play a little pick cross, but the, that's it for now. I haven't started anything big. Okay. Cat, uh, I'm very excited because I, can, I know what you've been playing, and I thought I was the only one. So please tell the audience what you've been playing. Maybe the most underrated game of the year, Fuga Melodies oh. of Steel. It's this tactics game where a bunch of furries are inside the belly of a metal slug tank, basically. Only it's huge. Yes. It's a huge metal slug tank. It's a little bit Valkyria Chronicles. It's a little bit, uh, yeah, like definitely has a Valkyria Chronicles vibe to it. And the tank is just kind of rolling along. And then you hit these set battles and you have to move your characters around, get them into the different guns. It's like light, heavy, uh, super heavy. And then the kicker is that there's this wave motion gun 
that if you use it, you'll have to sacrifice one of your characters, but it will instantly kill a boss. And I think Kotaku wrote... You have to kill a child. (laughs) Yeah. Headline said, this game won't stop breaking my heart, and it's true. But it is a beautiful game, and honestly... Uh, the algorithm got me some, uh, I, what was it, uh, CyberConnect came out and was like, let's make a game for Cat. It's going to be furries inside a giant tank that vaguely <laughs> resembles World War II. And I'm like, I'm in, I'm in. But yeah, I, I, I've seen footage of it and, and it had, there were some Advance Wars vibe just with the split screen setup and everything. But then I got a little worried that the, the, the game was too fussy. Is it more like an FTL with like the resource management and the different stations or is it simple? The way it works is that there's two basic segments. So the first one is the tank is rolling along, you get into an encounters and you're fighting and you're moving your characters around the And then between those encounters, you can walk around the tank, have conversations, build up relationships. And by having those conversations and building up relationships, you unlock additional abilities. Um, You can continue to upgrade your tank. It's surprising how accessible it is, given that uh, it's not a game that you would think of being super accessible. But I had a really easy time navigating it. I'm into it. I strongly recommend it. Check it out. Do you Very remember tempted. there was the Dragon Quest spinoff where you operate a tank with slimes, and I believe it's called Rocket Slime? Oh, yeah, slime. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Rocket Slime, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's when you started describing this, it instantly reminded me of that, except when I actually saw an action, it does not look like that. But. They're showing Pokemon Unite <laughs> now. I'm still playing Pokemon Unite. <laughs> You're playing Unite? Yeah. Blastoise is out, I think, very soon. So, hooray, finally, my time has come. Mm. Sam, what have you been playing? All right, so I've been switching between two games. I'm playing uh, Master Mode and Zelda, and to, to kind of get through that, I'm going really slow and you know grinding so I can not die instantly. Um, and I've been doing that by going to the different regions and getting basically up to each boss, because when you do that, you don't trigger the difficulty level of all the enemies to go up again. So that's very fun to do. So I basically gone all over the whole map, and I haven't completed any Divine Beasts, which is like, it's just an interesting way to play the game. And I'm also sneaking around a lot with Majora's Mask. But I'm also playing Axiom Verge 2. So um, I, uh, Axiom Verge 1 didn't grab me. This one did. Uh, it has mm. a, a really good uh, Metroid loop to it that I'm uh, very into right now. The traversal changes come really fast. So like I'm, I'm constantly retreading my ground a lot faster, than I think, than in a Metroid game, where I'm like, oh, I just passed three things that I can now go to. That feels good. I'm uh, really obsessed with filling out corners of maps in games, and this has yes. that. Yes. It, it's, it's just my thing. You know, it's like when yeah. there's, like, that little... You can see it right now on this. When there's that little chunk that you can't see, I'm going to be up there jumping to try to, like, clear the sky <laughs> region. <laughs> and this game, when you start doing that, you start seeing secrets and, like, things that are, like, not what you expect and... Uh, uh, highest recommendation for a Metroidvania so far. I'm only like four to six hours into it. Um, but I have like, you know, maybe five upgrades. Like, I feel like I, I pretty much can recommend the game at this Did point. Did you play the original? Yeah, and I, I, compare? I, it didn't grab me at all. The I original did. didn't grab you, but this one does. So this one does also because the environment is a kind of a flipped universe and you're immediately in like outdoor environments, caves, uh, a, a lake for a while. Like you're, you're just, it's in it. Everything has that Super Nintendo uh, pastel color palette. Um, and then there's mm. some, some kind of fantasy stuff. And like, it's just like, it's just surprising. It's like, it's not, it's not a usual setting for a, a Metroid game, uh, Metroid-like. And it's definitely uh, its own thing. And I definitely could recommend it not knowing anything that happens in Axiom Verge 1. I mean, it's just like, 
<laughs> yeah. The first five minutes, you're, you're in another universe and have to figure out how to get out of it. You know, like that, that's what right. you do in these games. Yeah, I never played the first one. I bought the first one, but that's because I am like Sam with Animal Crossing stuff. I just buy things mm-hmm. just to have them and then put them on the shelf. But I started playing this and I'm I'm very much enjoying it. Like a lot more. At, at first, I was a little on the fence. I was like, yeah, this is this feels good, but it feels a little generic. But then once I started to do like what you said, Sam, like fill out those corners of the map. And unlike some Metroidvanias where you fill out the corner of a map and it's just empty space, I have yet to come across a, a, a spot that was empty in the corner that didn't have something exactly. yep. there. And I really like that. I love the little drone when it goes yeah. through the, the, the warp. And then you have like these really cool almost like game gear style exactly it kind of zooms like this game is not trying to look like a 16-bit game it's just kind of looking like its own thing right but to just for for the sake of comparison there's a drone that switches into a world that's an 8-bit like world so it's like a bigger blockier pixely version uh, because it's really small and it's just it's just a funny zoom thing and 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 it's that's kind of also like a dark world so there's kind of like a a flipped, flipped world that you explore in two ways like lot going on yep yeah tiny team too i think maybe one developer with like maybe a little bit of support that's incredible and the amount of detail that goes into this game and the love um it's really impressive mm-hmm. yep thomas hap is you know obviously a big metroid fan and so this is this is his flavor of game i i i played uh, i played the beginning of the game and i liked it i'm definitely going to continue to yeah i highly recommend it i We'll just play for like 10 or 15 minutes at a time. And then sometimes I'll play for like an hour or two, just depending on how I feel. Because it doesn't feel like there's a lot of pressure. And I also, oh my God, it has the best thing every Metroidvania from here on out should have. And that is fast travel. You can fast travel between save points. You don't open that up right away. And I'm sorry for the spoiler for everybody who's really excited about not learning about fast travel ahead of time. So I apologize. But Mm -hmm. it's time for question block. Question block is, of course, when we ask the Facebook group. Or uh, uh, we answer emails from listeners like you. It's me pointing if you're not watching the video. Uh, Adam, somebody is messing with my inability to pronounce things. Adam Vogt, V-O-G-T. Vogt. Thank you. Donka Schumann. Bitte. Asks, uh, what games do you advocate for that people still don't give the time of day? For an example, Adam says, I shout out Return of the Obra Din." every chance i get so what man do you f- yeah is that one Good of man. yours then per, a pair oh yeah i you know what i i would have forgotten to shout it out if he hadn't brought it up again but this is such a cool game uh we, we talked about it at length on nvc uh tom marks turned us on to it i think and we all kind of scoffed at it because we we were annoyed at the artsiness of it and then we all played it and it's just it's just so good. Such a clever adventure game that unfolds. The more the more you learn about the situation on the ship, the crazier the mystery gets. It's awesome. But I'll add two more quickly. And one is Luigi's Mansion 3. Mm-hmm. That is a that's a big Nintendo franchise, and it just didn't sell as well as the other big Nintendo franchise. It sold well on Switch, but not to the level of a Mario or Zelda. And Luigi's Mansion 3 is just an absolutely fantastic game. It's the, the attention to detail, the animations, the love that the F team t- put into it. You have to play Luigi's Mansion 3. It's way better than the last two. And then Steam World Dig 2. I always have to bring it up. Great Metroidvania on the Switch. Nice. Kat, do you have any examples of games yeah. that people won't give the time of day? 
People who follow me on other podcasts will probably just be like, I know exactly what Kat's going to say. One of them is Valkyrie Profile, <laughs> which is a uh-huh. PS1 classic, very rare these days, unfortunately, but I think it's kind of a lost classic on the PS1. And the other one is Super Robot Wars, a Japanese only, to this point, it's actually coming out on Steam in North America. It's available on Switch in English, but it's been traditionally only available in Asia. It's basically every robot series ever in a tactical RPG. So you got Gundam. There's one that has Voltron in it. Hmm. Uh, if you can think of a anim- mecha anime series, it's probably been in this series at some point. Check it out. Love it. Nice. Super Roboto Tyson. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I, I bought one for the Super Famicom on a whim and was very confused at the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, those games were really hard, too. But uh, yep. beautiful to look at. Great music, too. Mm-hmm. Sam, do you have any examples? Well, I just want to give a shout out to uh, the kind of IGN office because this is the type of thing that go, like Oberdin is an example of something where like, you know, somebody will play it and then they'll say everybody has to play this game and then we'll talk about it. You know, that'll, that'll carry out to like a, uh, you know, a few nominations for awards at the end of the year. And I just really like that. Hmm. Um, and so I think we get, we do a lot of listening to people uh, on game recommendations. And I think, I think that's a, just a cool office culture thing that we have going. Uh, however, I will stick to theme here because I didn't get to talk about it earlier, and I think the one Super Nintendo game that people haven't played that they should play is a LucasArts game, uh, which is really Ooh. cool. Uh, uh, what, what are they called? Lucas? Yeah, they're called Lucas... What was the original Lucas Studio? LucasArts, right? I thought it was Lucasfilm. Yeah. Or is it, no, it was yeah, LucasArts. LucasArts yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's a game called Metal Warriors, which we showed earlier while we were talking. It's in a really amazing, uh, uh, graphically intense game where you can sh- you, it's a platformer that you're working through a bunch of spaceships, and there's really interesting levels. But you can get out of these giant mechs, and there's all types of mechs. There's like one that rolls. There's one that sticks to the walls. There's some like kind of uh, big... Um, there's one right there. That you get out as a little guy, you get to go into another mech. And and then the best thing about it is that the levels are set up so well. There's really cool anime-style cutscenes, even though, again, designed in some conglomeration of maybe Japanese and LucasArts developers. And um, I don't know the background. Uh, it looks really pretty the whole time. But then also, this has a two-player mode. And you take you're these little tiny humans, and, you're, and there's a bunch of decommissioned mechs all over the, the multiplayer maps. And you hop in them and beat up your friends. And each mech has, like, five or six different weapons, and there's just nothing not to like about this game. It's just an incredible game full of secrets and brilliance, and I think it's like $250 now, so figure out a way to play it. I think Oof. I will. It looks great. Yeah, yeah this looks awesome. Well, I don't I don't really have any good examples of, of games that I advocate for because I'm very basic. I just like the good game. Oh, Metal Gear Solid. Have you ever heard of that one? That's a good one. Uh, oh, no. Metal what is that? Yeah. yeah, no, uh, no but- I mean... On the, on the flip side of the equation is that I did talk all that smack on Fire and Ice, and then it came to the Nintendo Online. Not bad, service, right? And I played it, ironically, and it was like, it's an extremely enjoyable game, and now I know why the, the cart costs $150 loose, because, <laughs> yeah, if you, it's on your Nintendo if you have Nintendo Online right now, so go, yeah. go check that one out. It works. Um, one more question. This is from Jimmy Vall Peterson. Jimmy says, I was recently diagnosed with something called shoulder impingement syndrome, meaning my right arm is overworked, leading to an inflammation, inflammation in my right shoulder. I'm going to minimize the use of my right arm for things like video gaming. My question is, do you have suggestions for great games that can be played using my left hand only, i.e. using only the left Joy-Con? Mm-hmm. That is a tough one. I <laughs> was going to say WarioWare, but you still need to, um, yeah. I think, oh, oh my God. Um, Find yourself a good turn-based RPG. Yep. That... I was just going to say, I I think uh, 
Octopath Traveler. This, this, this is my solution yeah. to everything. You know what would yeah. fix that? I did a turn-based RPG. <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah, get into. That's tough. I mean, Casey would be Casey would be the best one to uh, to help here. But like, I, w- I was thinking about all the different all the different game control setups, and like, yeah, most of the time, first of all, there's not a left-handed game where you know you got to remember it's just stick and the inside buttons. Then, right? If you only use your left hand on something, mm-hmm. most games there there are a lot of games that only use one controller, but you have to turn it sideways, and so conceivably you have to use the the buttons at the same time as the stick. Like even even the puzzle games like Picross, I guess you can move and then use yeah, your you left hand to to hit. Yeah, you could use the pro controller, move and then yeah. and then hit the buttons. Yeah, because it's not timed yeah. or anything, yeah. right? So yeah. you just need to kind yeah. of get used to that. You know, and obviously, like, yeah, Switch doesn't make it easy. Uh, I think you'd be better off with some mouse and keyboard games for this, for my recommendation. But a lot of strategy games, I think, are are going to be, not real-time strategy, but turn-based strategy. And maybe the one that Seth recommended earlier, The Sim, I'd never heard of that. And that might be one that you... Oh, A-Train. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I... That one actually is requires a lot of button press uh, okay i'm more complicated once you have to hold buttons while selecting others yeah that's always an issue yeah, to move across the map and stuff yeah but uh i'm 90 percent certain that bravely default 2 does have a joystick configuration for just the left joy oh cool please go check that out i i know i reviewed it but it, i forget things a lot because of how old i am but panel this has been like the best stardew valley and <laughs> Stardew valley stardew valley yeah you mm. could do that animal crossing yeah Thank you, Pam. Maybe those you songs. Go. Maybe. There's some, a little bit of combat Maybe. and jerky fishing and stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who doesn't love jerked fish? Yeah. Um, I want to thank the panel for coming out for this incredible 30th anniversary celebration of the Super NES, uh, which is most of our favorite consoles. Uh, we are out of time. If you want to hear this, oh, God dang it. We need to change that up in the run of show because I read it every time. To submit your own questions to Question Block, write us at nbc at IGN.com or respond to the weekly Question Block post on the Nintendo Voice Chat Podcast forums on Facebook. I want to thank everybody so much for watching and listening. And remember, NBC is the only place where you can... Get the thing. Get the thing. Get that thing. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues, and it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.